revolutionary talk for revolutionary times. Promoting peace, liberty, and prosperity around the clock. LibertyTalk.fm. Good morning. Welcome to Medicine on Call. Today I have a really important and a special guest that I'm honored to have on. It's Mr. Patrick Wood. He's the editor of Technocracy News and an author of two books that I think people really need to read. Um, the Technocracy Rising, The Trojan Horse of Global Transformation, which was released in 2015, and Trilaterals Over Washington, Volumes 1 and 2. He's a leading expert on sustainable development, green economy, Agenda 21 and 2030, and the expert on the movement of our of our society towards technocracy. And I'm going to give him the floor in a minute. I want him to explain what technocracy is, but I want everybody to really start thinking outside of the box. We talk a lot on the show about where our, the direction of our healthcare system, and I've tried to flesh out as much as possible how we got to this point. But there's not a lot of talk yet about where we're going and the platforms that are driving us towards our new healthcare delivery model. Everything's about social uh, promotion and social, um, I should say, trying to, to inoculate us into thinking that the centralization is good, that we can't make up our own minds by ourselves, that somebody else knows what's best for us. But nobody ever talks about who those people are and what their agenda is. And that's what our show is going to talk about today. I believe knowledge is power, and you're going to have to take off your conventional thinking hats and really start opening up to a new world. Uh, so, Mr. Wood, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I know how busy you are, and I'm honored to have you on. Can you hear me, Mr. Wood? This is good to hear. Ah, there we go. Um, well, I Again, I lost contact with you for a second, so once again, I want to welcome you to the show. And I'd like if first we can start off with the, the dictionary um, version of what technocracy is so we can get everybody on the same page. Well, certainly we can, yeah. <clears throat> the, the dictionary, Webster's, for instance, if you look up the word technocracy, you'll find a definition that says it's government by technicians or management of society by technical experts. And that's a correct definition as far as it goes. But it doesn't explain that there was an actual historic movement called technocracy from the 1930s. And this was where the term came from originally. And um, if you go back to their definition, you find out that technocracy is a, a resource-based economic system, an economic model, in other words, based on energy distribution and consumption and run by engineers, scientists, and technicians. And so, um, you know, there's these two aspects. There is a historical movement. It was huge in the United States with over a half a million card-carrying, dues-paying members at one time. Uh, if you fast forward to 1938, you'll find it, you would find a, de a definition of technocracy in their official magazine called The Technocrat. And this is how they defined it. This is good today, too, by the way. This is a direct quote from their magazine. It said, technocracy is the science of social engineering, the scientific operation of the entire social mechanism to produce and distribute goods and services to the entire population. 
and you can see the economic nature of it there to produce and distribute goods and services to the entire population. And secondly, you also see the science of social engineering, <clears throat> which is kind of what we're struggling with right today. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we're going to talk about that. Um, but the idea that scientists and engineers are more uh, appropriate or, or more able to run society, um, it's not a brand new idea, but I'll tell you what, it needs to be challenged because there is no particular uh, qualification of the scientific community uh, to say that they would be better able to run everything than the ways things are being run right now with citizen input and, you know, with, uh, uh, you know, free enterprise and, mm-hmm. and you know, freedom and liberty and those sorts of things that have created so many good things in America over the last 250 years. Um, it would basically demolish all of that and, and flip our economic system over into a completely otherworldly economic system. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Well, the thing that sticks out to me is the the expertise of these of these people. You know, they don't run a business. They don't have to interact with people like we do. You know, making a payroll. It's the standard things that people do. Take their children to school. Have to pay the bills. None of these things really matter to them. They have this very esoteric academic approach to real world problems and. There's no empathy in this system. That's what strikes me first. It's we're, we know everything, and you need to follow what we're saying. You know, we're going to make you. It's not even like you have a choice, right? They make you follow uh, their, yep. their guidelines, and everything will work out just right. This reminds me now of this uh, everybody gets a, uh, a, a universal payment. What is it? I forget what it's called now. Everybody gets some yeah, money from the government. Basic income. Exactly. That's been bandied about, and I think it's already failed in. In uh, I think it's Finland or Norway, one of those countries. It's a dumb idea, basically. If you're sitting on your on your duff, not having to go out and actually compete, it actually leads to less production, doesn't it? Well, my uh, gosh, it does. Um, <clears throat> it's a it's a half baked idea. Uh, well, that's true of so many ideas that come out of this uh, this scientific slash engineering crowd that. Most of them are, or some of them at least, are directly associated with the original technocracy uh, <laughs> movement or idea. But um, half-baked ideas are uh, a, a sign that you're dealing with technocracy. And uh, there, there's a myopic vision, uh, or I should say these people have a myopic vision, that there is a scientific answer for everything. I mean everything. And any other solution is, is inadequate if it's not scientifically determined. Mm-hmm. And this is crazy, of course. You know, the, the original uh, tenets of, of scientism, which came from the 17th century, actually, but the original tenets said that all knowledge is discoverable only in science and that knowledge can't be discovered or revealed in any other way other than through science. Well, this is crazy because scientists, for instance, can't define human emotions. They can't define love. Uh, they can't define, you know, anger. I mean, they can see the symptoms of it, but it's not scientific. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of areas of, of knowledge today, especially if, like, for instance, in philosophy or in religion, there's no scientific answer to those things, and there's no scientific discovery. But scientists and engineers that are bought into this thinking that science is everything, they exclude automatically all other bodies of knowledge. 
and they refuse to even acknowledge them, much less use them or, or rely on them or ask anybody else what they think. It's very, it's very dangerous to take such a narrow view of reality and much less than taking that and trying to impose that on all of society as the gospel truth. And if anybody disagrees, you deserve to be punished. Well, that begs the question, where's God in this system? There isn't. And that's tragic. And that God to me, that's terrible. And now I'm thinking about how our healthcare system is unfolding with comfort care and hospice and withdrawing um, treatment from people who are deemed to be not medically uh, too costly to save. Then that mindset pervades this type of system. If you have no God, and if you have no no ethics, listen. I mean, ethics and morals don't exist either, do they? Uh, that's right. <clears throat> when you have no when you have no concern for for ethical considerations, anything goes. You know, you 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 build because you can. Mm-hmm. You invent because you can, not because there's a need to. And I have to say that <clears throat> that in you know the engineering scientific community. And by the way, I I'm not anti-engineer scientist at all. I love science. I love engineering. I love gadgets. You know, I'm into all the technology stuff for sure myself. But um, when uh, when when people get into the mindset that uh, that everything has to be efficient, that everything has to be compressed as much as it possibly can, uh, this, it must be um, you know resource efficient. Where uh, you know, some proclaimed shortage of something all of a sudden is controlling the entire system, whatever it is you're dealing with. This is just is craziness. It always ends to a it always ends up in a blind alley. And when you remove ethics from it, from the discussion, you you can justify any crazy thing under the sun that you think is right. And nobody apparently is allowed to challenge you because science kind of sets up a. Uh, uh, a barrier or a, what I want to say, a little castle mm-hmm. that resists people coming in and, and, and questioning. Of course, this is absolutely antithetic to real science. Real science is eternally skeptical. That's the whole basis of it. You know, if, if somebody makes a proposition or proposes a theory, you want other people to come in and take shots at it. If you really care about the truth, you want people to come in and you know, try and break your theory apart or suggest other things that might fit. This is the way science has advanced for thousands of years, <laughs> well, but not for these folks. As they're, a biology major, yeah. I, I totally understand what you're saying. You have a theorem, you better prove it. And the whole point is someone, the whole thesis is somebody proving your point and having people, having to defend it. That doesn't seem to be, and you're absolutely right, there is no, def- you're not allowed to question it. So they don't even get to defend it. They just say it as if it's gospel. The climate change movement is an example, in my opinion, of this. Start off as global cooling, then global warming. Now you cover all with climate change. It doesn't really make a lot of sense to me, but they're trying to introduce legislation in some countries to make it illegal to question it. What happened to freedom of thought, freedom of speech in this system? Is there any? This doesn't work there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it was uh, Al Gore, famously, in my mind anyway, uh, who, of course, is Mr. Climate Change, um, well, Mr. Global Warming in particular, he said one time that uh, that deniers, which is a, a slur at this point, 
deniers of climate change deserve to be punished. This is, you know, people shake their head at that. They laugh at first. Oh, ha, you know, that's funny. But he's dead serious. And this, this is reminiscent of, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the famous Salem witch trials. <laughs> you know, looking for people, based on some outward appearance, looking for people to punish because they don't believe the way you believe. Mm-hmm. This, this is so anti-American and even anti-human, I can't believe it. But this is a growing mentality that if you're if you're not on their side, you're you're viewed as enemy and you're incapable or unable to, you know, think rationally on anything. And you're basically just kind of shunned and excluded. But this uh, what people that start to see it don't really realize or they need to think it through. What's the end of this? What what what's the logical outcome of these kinds of belief systems? That's where it really gets interesting, in my opinion. Yeah, I think you're because absolutely right. I know. It's, it's leading straight for scientific dictatorship, for one. And I'd, I'd say, I tell people, go back and read George Orwell's uh, 1984, and definitely go back beyond that and read Huxley's Brave New World. Uh, and I might add, when Huxley wrote Brave New World, it was in 1932, um, he was a Brit, but... There was a lot of British influence from Columbia University, uh, where Columbia University had a lot of influence in Great Britain. And uh, that was the very year that the technocracy movement was housed at Columbia University. And uh, from my historical study around that, Huxley was looking straight into the face of technocracy when he penned Brave New World. This is is not a good thing. You know, (laughs) the people want to you know, embrace this concept. I reread the book about a, about a year ago. And when I read it as a high school student, I had no clue what I was reading. But as an adult, knowing what I'm, what we're facing, it was an eye-opening experience. I really do recommend people go and read that book. On, on that note, let's take a break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're speaking with Mr. Patrick Wood. He's an economist, a financial analyst, a writer, and an American constitutionalist who maintains a biblical worldview and has deep historical insights about attacks on sovereignty, property rights, and personal freedom. And this is really all about individualism, about personal freedom, about being able to have the power to run your own life as you see fit, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else in society, as long as it's adding something positive. I have no problem with that. I mean, most people who have that, who have a a self, a sense of self and a confidence don't have a problem with somebody else doing what they want to do. They don't need to control them. And this whole social justice warrior template that we're seeing, this sounds like it's not by accident. I don't think it is. I, you know, this the, the social justice movement has its has most of its roots in historic Marxism, and basically it pits two groups against each other. Um, one group is set up to be possessing something that the other group wants. Uh, the organizers go to group number two and say, you know, group A. They're cheating you out of something, and you need to go over and get it because they got it and you don't. Mm-hmm. It's just that simple. And that's what social justice is based on today. It's distributing everything on an equal basis to people, whether there's any reason for it or not. 
but uh, technocracy is about three degrees worse than just social justice. Because in their case, maybe we could call it scientific justice. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, it's a it's a it's a belief system that basically says nobody else has any input whatsoever. Nobody else is going to have any property or any rights. We're going to control everything. This was what original technocracy said back in the 1930s. This is exactly what we see being practiced today in China, in some countries in Europe, India. Uh, they're, they're trying to do it here. And, you know, the, the idea that, um, again, the idea that this new economic system is the, um, uh, what I'm going to say, the, the, the utopia of a head for the world is absolutely crazy. It's, it's not. But there's no freedom whatsoever. Uh, technocracy said there will be no private, private property, none. Nobody would own anything. Well, that's what sustainable development is all about, too. Mm -hmm. Taking property away from people and giving it to the global common trust. Uh, you know, well, free enterprise and, and, and uh, capitalism, that doesn't fit in that system. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, because we depend on private property. This is, what, this is what America has always been about, is the right to own and enjoy property and use it for your own economic advantage. Um, if people lose the right to own property, they're going to be paupers on the street. This is like a return to the dark ages where feudalism reigned, where there was a number of landlords or barons that owned everything, and all the people had to exist by squatting on some corner of the guy's property. And if he didn't like you, he could drop kick you in, you know, in, mm -hmm. into oblivion. Um, this is this is not uh, this this is so otherworldly to what we have known in America that you. you you can barely you can barely even appreciate how otherworldly it is. And I think that's one reason people have have a hard time wrapping their head around it. It's like, how could anybody suggest this? Mm -hmm. You know, take away all property. You mean I can't own real estate? I can't own a factory. I can't you know I can't own a garage if I want to you know start a, a car detailing business and I got to you know get property for it or whatever. I can't do that. No, I can't. They will tell you what you can do and can't do. And you know, they will tell you what you're allowed to consume and what you cannot consume. Well, this is this is not just control. This is not just the human, the old human, um, you know, fault to to want to control other people for no particular good reason other than just to control them. This goes beyond that and says science is able to control everything. So just everybody give up. <laughs> just put your hands <laughs> in the air in a sense and say, we will allow you to control us, oh, oh God of science. <laughs> I, people aren't going to go for this. I tell you, what it what it really, you know, becomes it comes to light. Pe people in America are not going to just roll over and say, "Oh, that's just a wonderful idea." You know, we'll just let science take care of it. Let you know all the whatever the protocols are. This this you know this is so so well expressed in the medical field with evidence based medicine today. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure you've talked about. I never listened to your show, but I'm sure you've talked about that at some point. I have. Um, where where guidelines and and let's just say rules. I don't want to say principles because it's vacuous, but I'll say rules. When rules are set up that must be followed by people, uh, whether they have a brain in their head or not, you always end up with with other with with the object of, of those rules being dislocated. And when it becomes so rigid. That it can never be questioned. 
it just gets worse and worse and worse until people start dying. I and think it's happening. this is what's happening across society. In almost every industry you look at today, that's that's it. It's just sweeping the world, and it's not just in our country. It's it's everywhere, but around the world. But um, <clears throat> you know, it, it shows up in medicine pretty directly because pe- people have have to consume. You know, medical the medical industry. They want to when they're sick, they need to go and get taken care of. Uh, so they're interfacing with, with medical system all the time. They're not necessarily interfacing with every other system in society like they are with medicine. <clears throat> but um, if you look at um, uh, if you look at education, if you look at uh, industry, if you look at the whole concept of free trade and how our free our our manufacturing industries and so on have just disappeared in America mm-hmm. over the last thirty years, where'd they go? Well, they went to China, they went to India. Uh, Say, well, how did that help us out? <laughs> well, it didn't, obviously. Well, it was about distribution, but, uh, right? Making everybody being fair. You know, forget about what you worked for. It has yeah. to be distributed, and that's what you're just, that seems to be what's yeah. happening. Hopefully, the pendulum is starting to swing back. I can hope so. I, I, I want to say just the technocracy is worse than communism. And the reason I say that, back in the 30s, communists and technocrats hated each other. There's lots of writings that, uh, that point that out. They hated each other's guts. And it had to do with the price, with the price-based economic system. And the technocrats said that the, the communists didn't bring anything new to the table, really, um, because they still relied on a price-based economic system to make things work. And they said that's absolutely wrong. Uh, that we need to have a, uh, a resource-based, an energy-based distribution economic system for the, the sake of making and, pr- and producing and delivering goods and services. And uh, <clears throat> uh, they were constantly at odds with each other. And the, the, the technocrats, when, when Franklin Delano Roosevelt came into office, there was a book written by a prominent tech- technocrat back in that at that time that called for uh, Roosevelt to declare himself dictator in order to implement technocracy mm-hmm. and just outright and they called on him to dismiss Congress altogether, get rid of all the the Senate and the House, get rid of most of the politicians that run agencies and turn it over to science and engineers, period it's like, let's just get this done well you don't, you, <laughs> that's that's even that's beyond anything that communism ever did to anybody. It's like they never really explain how they were going to conquer the rest of the world. But, you know, they figure people would just roll over and, and pay homage to them and say, oh, yeah, you guys are you're you, you know, you're the man. Let's get it done. <laughs> it's like, no, that's that's not the way things work here. These people have at, at the very root of it. They have a very deranged mind uh, to think that they can pull us off and just wipe away all the social institutions that we have today. Mm-hmm. Um, it would not be ruling by any kind of rules or regulations, even like Marxism or communism was set up. It would be, ru- be, be ruled by scientific dictate. Whatever is, uh, you know, whatever is uh, determined that science, I, I, I liken it to a religion where you have an oracle, you know, and, and <laughs> The priest goes to the oracle and listens very carefully to see what the oracle says. I'm speaking sarcastically. Mm -hmm. And then he comes back and tells the people what the oracle said. Now, you need to obey this. 
It's like, well, how do you know that the oracle really told him that? It's just his word. What if he's just making it up? <laughs> you know, is it, well, nevertheless, you need to obey because I said it. Well, this is, um, this is beyond human control, communism, Marxism, socialism, or whatever. And, uh, and I, I would offer, I think, as proof of, proof of that, uh, just recently uh, a global scholar down in Singapore by the name of Dr. Prag Khanna. He wrote a book. Oh, he's written several books. But the global elite love this guy. Yeah. And he's very articulate, young, handsome. You know, he's a really, really brilliant guy. But, and I don't agree with him, but he's a brilliant guy. <clears throat> and uh, he wrote this in one of his books. This is profound. He said, we're building this global society without a global leader. Global order is no longer something that can be dictated or controlled from the top down. Here's the punchline. Globalization is itself the order. It's a direct quote from his book. That's pretty scary. It's like shocking. Um, It's true. I I happen to completely agree with the statement that globalization has become itself the order. And now we find it's really being driven, especially by artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. The rules have been set in place where you must obey. And there is no movement left or right. You either obey or it's the highway. And this is what's happening in medicine, too, you know. I do. And if you look at yeah. some of the the examples of what you described, California is, seems to be the epicenter of this thing where they're mandating vaccinations for children, um, uh, sexual education in schools, uh, contraception. The parents have no say. It's the state that's the parent, and the parent is just sitting there like a bystander. And it's being touted as the only way. I don't even understand how that's possible, how you can't control what goes into your child's body and you don't even know what's going on, what they're being taught. I wonder now, and we need to talk about core curriculum because I'm, I'm really concerned about that movement as well because that's the future. If you have nobody who knows what, what came before, they have, no, they have no reason to complain because they don't know what good is and what the alternative is. Is that the agenda? And before you answer that, let's take a break and come back. You're listening to Medicine on Call. health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're speaking with Mr. Patrick Wood, 
And before the break, I wanted to explore core curriculum. There seems, now, the more that we speak, the more it's just becoming, it's gelling in my mind what's going on in our society right now. We have these children who are being, to me, are they being indoctrinated? In, but it sounds like it to me. Now it's against uh, the Second Amendment. But they're being used as a means to an end. All societies, I think historically, as soon as you disarm the population, they are ripe for the picking. Talk of about serfdom. If you can't protect yourself, then you really are at the at the mercy of the government. Is the the core curriculum, the 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 education system in our country, the the thing that they're using as a fulcrum to get this job done down the road? It's it's really important for um, for education to serve the the technocracy mindset. And back in the 30s, when technocracy was being defined, they wrote a book uh, called uh, well, it was a technocracy study course. It was kind of their bible. It was about a 240-page manual on what how how technocracy would run the world. Education was a very important part of their curriculum because they knew if they were going to have uh, you know people in society that would be running things they need to be educated in a certain way uh, back in those days uh, by the way there was um, you know things going on like um, like uh, B.S. Skinner you know studying psychology and you know animal behavior and stuff like that this was a big philosophy back then that, hum- that humans could be controlled psychologically um, but the, uh, the technocrats viewed education as conditioning, not education. Conditioning, like conditioning an animal. And uh, this is what we see today, is, is with common core education standards especially. It's conditioning students, not educating them. They're not teaching them critical thinking. They're not just even teaching them basic skills necessarily. But the idea is to condition them to fill a place in the workplace that they choose for that student. And uh, this is the way the entire education system is being shoved right now. It, it's interesting if you kind of expand that concept a little bit, say, well, how can they be so heartless to think that they can just pick and choose which which students should go where and do what, and uh, you know, what kind of classes should, should they get? Mm-hmm. Um, from day one, the technocrats viewed society as just a, 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 a collection of animals. They didn't believe that the human, uh, that the human, uh, ex- human existence had uh, any, any type of, uh, you know, creation type of experience, a divine creator or anything else. They believed that humans were just like animals uh, of any other variety, cattle, you know, deer in the forest or whatever. They're just animals. And there's the buckets, or they're, they're containers of, of random atoms and uh, they, they respond to certain things and, you know, don't to others, but they, they had this herd management mentality. When you apply that to society and start to view society as a herd of animals, everything changes. Everything changes because you start to manage like a herd. I, I grew up in a, on a ranch. I understand herd management, but those are cattle. <laughs> they weren't people. Mm-hmm can't treat people like that. People are not a herd. So children today in the education system are being treated like the young members of a herd. 
preparing them for adulthood. And when you get to adulthood, you look at things like medicine, just as an example, again, to bring that up. You look at medicine. Medicine is being practiced based on herd management principles. You hear this. You actually hear this terminology with vaccines, for instance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Vaccinating the herd. Yeah, herd herd immunity. Herd immunity. Yeah. Well, come on, people, wake up. This is this is exactly <laughs> this is where this mentality comes from. When they look at when they when they look at you, they expect you to say "moo," <laughs> 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 and, and that's all they want to hear from you. And we will take care of the rest. Um, it's all we can't about bear up on her this long, but it's gaining traction. I tell you, it's gaining traction everywhere in the world right now. Because it's all about using language, you know, neurolinguistics, to make it sound palatable. Like yeah. euthanasia is now comfort care. Um, population medicine is what you just described. It's basically control. And down the road, I believe eugenics, quite frankly. And now there's something called precision medicine that's coming online using the, the genetics of the patient to in, initiate care. But now there's other things about being able to change the DNA, right? You've got CRISPR technology. You've got all these things where you can manipulate the genome to give you outcomes that you want. We're not just talking about people using genes to pick their, the sex of their child or the eye color anymore, are we? Not at all. We're looking at changing the basic fabric of humanity. And how egotistical is it that, that any group of people can think that they can do a better job at recreating humans or humanity than the original creator? And we could, you know, somebody could argue, well, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a, I don't believe in God or whatever. I mean, they could, they could debate, I suppose, intelligently. Uh, they might lose, but, you know, they could debate that topic. Mm-hmm. But ignorance... Uh, is not true. And people that are studying things, like even with CRISPR right now, are that there, there are such massive uh, holes of ignorance in this whole thing that these people should, should have no access to actually do anything substantive at this point. They should absolutely be banned from it because they... They don't know what they don't know, and they don't know a lot. Exactly. And yet they they pawn themselves off to hey, we're scientists. We know. We've got the PhDs, you know. Say piled high and deep, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We've got the PhDs. And to say, you know, I want to say, so what, what? What is you know? What does that mean? You know that that you're something special? Well, no. If you're if you're a scientist or a, you know working on something, uh, pushing the envelope on the scientific frontier, or whatever, fine. But you don't you don't take your ignorance and just start experimenting with mankind. And they're doing that. And that's what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, they're we're talking that. these these mosaics, uh, these hybrids. They're now. I think China. I think no, Japan has approved uh, the hybridization of animals with humans so that you can, uh, I guess, make a population of animals that can be used for for organ transplant. What could go wrong there, you know? <laughs> what yeah, happens what when you have wrong, it? Yeah. Whoever gets that organ is now going to pass along animal DNA to their offspring. Once it's in your That's genes, right. you're passing it along in perpetuity. What could go wrong yeah. with that? 
It's sick, honestly. Reminds me of that movie, that Dr. Moreau movie, where they had all those. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Yeah. It's this, they, uh, yeah. it's disgusting. <laughs> and yeah. And that's exactly yeah. what they're trying to play around with. I mean, ultimately, this is all. I mean, I, I was on your site, and there's an article about somebody named Joseph Fletcher. And he was a, a priest who became an atheist. But his mindset of ethics and the absence of God and the dehumanization of people seems to be one of the underpinnings of this or foundation for this mindset. You know, if you can do it, you're right. You do it. Doesn't matter what the outcome is. Doesn't matter what the ethical tenets are. It's just, just because we can, we should. And that's a dangerous concept. And I can see now clearly, sorry to cut you off, but question for you is all of this um, identity politics is that one, we- one, one weapon that they're using to create the herd mentality? If, you only, if you're supposed to think a certain way because of how you look, then they have you, don't they? That seems to have gone along with it. I'm not sure it was causative at the beginning, but it certainly is the case now. And it's been used very effectively to mm-hmm. kind of scramble society's mind <laughs> um, to where they can't think clearly anymore. And... You, you, I've seen this, um, the concept in, in globalist literature, especially tech, technocrat literature, that society has to be deconstructed in order for technocracy to take hold, uh, to be successful, to be implemented. And what, that, what, the, what they refer to when they say deconstructed, it, the government needs to be deconstructed, that, that is national governments need to be deconstructed. It, where functions and so on are pushed out to the hinterland, you know, out into the just, uh, towns and villages and whatever. And um, <clears throat> that the national government needs to take a less and less important role in society. And at the same time, they talk that way about humans as well, that the, that the, the human spirit uh, the, that would value freedom, liberty, and... Um, you know, thing, things like that, mm-hmm. that uh, health and so on, um, that that needs to be deconstructed as well. And this is, I think this is where we end up at what you're suggesting right now, uh, that, uh, you know, people's minds need to be broken away from those thoughts of desiring freedom and liberty because they're, to technocracy, it's evil. You know, that, that's their evil. You know, that's the worst thing people can do is be selfish. <laughs> I, you know, I, I saw a coloring book that was produced by the United Nations for children. It was up to six or seven years old coloring books. I, I don't know where you stop coloring, but um, this coloring book had a statement in it because it had a little propaganda all the way through it for sustainable development. It said, actually said for children to read and their parents to read to them or whatever, that whenever that the earth groans when a child is born. What? <laughs> it actually said that. Wow. The, the earth groans when a child is born, when a new child is born. What a thing to say to a child. I'll say. You, you know, this, but this is ripping the mind apart. I mean, you can't, you, you can't process that straight on. It's just like it's, it's, a, it's a cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. You know, two opposite thoughts facing each other, and they're both claimed to be true. <laughs> 
it's it's all yeah. about cognitive dissonance, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. If, if you think uh, if if you really believe that everybody is equal and everybody is valuable, then how do you shut down someone's speech? How do you shut down their their creativity and their thought, and then say that's a good thing? That's dissonance right there, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> It really is. And and I have to say, society is suffering right now because of this people in society. We have we've we've lost our uh, our our conscience in America. We've lost our ability to think rationally on any given topic. We've never had more anger and bitterness and angst in, in America that I can remember in my entire life. And I there there's been some dark periods in our history, I have to say, that mm-hmm. things look pretty tough. But nothing compared to this. Everybody's at everybody's throat for one reason or another. You know, it, it, it could be politics. It could be scientific views. It could be the color of your skin. It doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. It's like, you know, you're different than me. I hate you. Yeah. Or <laughs> like, you took something from me and, I, and you need to yeah. give it to me. And, you yeah. know, the mindset when I was a kid with, you know, that keeping up the Joneses mentality back in the day, it was, oh, I want, I like what they have, so I'm going to work harder and get it. That was the mindset, right? Now it's, they took it from me and I'm going to take it from them. You know, I don't want to work for it. You owe me. I'm a victim. Everybody's a victim, yet they're yeah. also a bully. I don't even understand. It's, again, more cognitive dissonance in the system. Mm-hmm. And I want to yeah. revisit sustainable development because when you think about it, again, it's this name. It sounds all innocuous and wonderful that you should use – the resources are finite, so you should be a good steward and shepherd of them. But that's really not what goes on, is it? No, it isn't. And the, 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 lead, the lead propaganda that, you know, well, we're going to el- eliminate poverty and we're going to have jobs for all and whatever, those are good good ideas, you know, I mean, who, who wants people to be poor? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't argue with that, you know, well, of course I want to help poor people. But um, when you get down into it and you realize that sustainable development is an economic term, not political, and when you see what it's really about, replacing capitalism and free enterprise, it, it takes on a different nature. And the, the head of climate change two years ago at the time was Christiana Figueres. She's since retired her position at the UN. Um, she did a press conference in Europe, and she said this. I watched her lips move on the video, by the way, just to be <laughs> sure, and I transcribed it. She, this is what she said in the, uh, openly. She said this, and she's talking about climate change and, and sustainable development. She says, this is the first time in the history of mankind that we're setting ourselves the task of intentionally within a defined period of time to change the economic development model that has been reigning for at least 150 years since the Industrial Revolution. Close quote. It's like, these are fighting words. This is war. Mm-hmm. This is a declaration of war on the entire planet. And you don't need to read between the lines. They have a timetable. They have an intention. They have a, a you know, a, the model that they want to put in place, and this is their sustainable development, which in my book, by the way, I show how that is really warmed over technocracy from the 1930s. <clears throat> but um, they intend to flip the entire planet into this system of sustainable development where producers, makers of things, will be told what they're allowed to produce 
and where consumers of things will be told what they're allowed to consume. Is that a planned economy? Is that what a planned economy is? Well, it's more than just a planned economy. It's it's what they called a resource-based economy based on resource allocation. So when you have a shortage, it has to, yeah, it has to be allocated, but it, it's even worse than just allocating, I suppose. It's dictating what you, what you can and can't do. For instance, if you have, uh, in, in Portland, Oregon right now, if you, if you have too much grass in your yard, uh, you know, you're, you're under pressure because you're a selfish person. You're using too much water. Uh, there, this is, this doesn't happen in Southern California <laughs> so much, but where they really have a desert. But, uh, you know, it, it makes no sense why they do this in Portland, Oregon, where you get so much rain. But there was a guy a couple, three years ago that got actually put in jail for collecting rainwater off of his roof. He had a big old wooden barrel. He was collecting the rainwater for his garden. Yeah, I heard about that. And they said, no, you can't do that. And he said, well, it's my water. It's my roof. It's my property. <laughs> they said, no, you don't own the water. You can't collect it. And they took him through, drug him through court, and he ended up spending jail time. Wow. Punishment. That's uh, crazy. So at it, some it, point... This is, this is beyond just control. Yeah, <laughs> that, like, that's... It's, it's like demonic, being in a prison. You know, almost. Yeah. Uh, well, let's take our last break and, and, and come back. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're speaking with Mr. Patrick Wood. I'll, I'll bring in the idea of scientism and where it started. Well, uh, we're actually back from the break, so please do that. Oh, sorry. No problem. <laughs> I didn't realize we were. Sorry. Um, the father of technocracy is, uh, is uh, a fr- French philosopher by the name of Henri de Saint-Simon. Let's just call him Saint-Simon. Um, he was also the uh, considered now the the father the forerunner to transhumanism transhumanism and technocracy are joined at the hip like Siamese twins they're they're different areas but they're you know transhumanism pertains to the individual where technocracy pertains to the society that's full of individuals but Saint Saint Simon um, had so much to say about technocracy and and and, and uh, you know how science should run society. And in one of his papers, this is what he wrote. This is kind of the this is where scientism originally began. Us that's the worship of science. He said, "A scientist, my dear friends, is a man who foresees. It is because science provides the means to predict that it is useful." And scientists are superior to all other men. That's what he said. Wow. That's totally not this, true. <laughs> this, was, this was the fountainhead mm-hmm. of both technocracy and transhumanism. That they have some magical ability to predict the future. And when, you know, when he says science, of course, I mean, he's not talking about hard science necessarily, you know, like physics or biology or whatever, chemistry. He's talking about some other, you know, some other application of the word <laughs> that uh, that most people are not familiar with. Uh, but nevertheless, he says science uh, provides the means to predict. In other words, see the future. 
and that those scientists who practice science are superior to all other men. That's a heck of a way to get out of bed in the morning. Sure is. So they're playing God. They think they're God. They're, they're playing God. Yeah, and that doesn't work out. It never works out. There's only one God. And, you know, on, I mean, <laughs> there's so much to unpack in what you said. But I want to give you the, the platform now and the, the, the stage to talk about the Red Pill Expo. Because what we did in the show is just scratch the surface of what people really, really need to be paying attention to and know. And you have something called the Red Pill Expo that this is the second year, am I correct, that it's, that it's been in existence? It and it's yeah. a conference that people can go and really learn from all of the experts in this field. Tell us more about that if you could. Well, I can. Red Pill Expo is uh, a conference that's going to be held in Spokane, Washington this year. The, the website, not surprisingly, is redpillexpo.org. Um, <clears throat> but the idea is to bring together experts from different areas in society to speak about issues that are critical to freedom-loving Americans. And so we have some people are going to address economic issues, other people are going to address medical issues, other people are going to, you know, on down, down the line. There's, mm -hmm. there's several different thought tracks that we're trying to put together. But we're bringing in just, you know, top people that we can get a hold of. We've got the, uh, the movie producer um, <clears throat> of the movie Vaxxed, for instance, Del Bigtree, is going to address that particular issue <clears throat> and why people should care. Uh, we've got uh, uh, Twyla Braze <clears throat> coming to speak to us about her new book. She's a health freedom advocate, of course, uh, mm -hmm. about her new book, which is called Big Brother in the Exam Room. Yes, <laughs> like Blockbuster. People need to understand this. We have people coming to talk about economic issues like Chris Martinson of Peak Prosperity. Uh, G. Edward Griffin himself, the author of the well-known book, uh, The Creature from Jekyll Island, on the Federal Reserve, he's going to be speaking about the banking system and, you know, how, where it's headed, why it's headed. Why, why, do, we, why do we have such economic uh, imbalance in our country, you know, with the rich getting massively richer and the middle class disappearing like crazy? <clears throat> we're uh, we're going to have a two-day conference. And it's just going to be jam-packed with speakers. We've, we do, we've got such a lineup, it's just almost inconceivable. <laughs> but uh, people can go there and look at our speakers and just say, wow. You know, we've got Robert Kiyosaki coming, the father of, or the, the guy that wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad years ago. Um, he's, uh, he loves our conference. He came last year, and he's a friend of the organizer, G. Edward Griffin. And... Uh, he loves this thing. He says, <clears throat> he said this year, he says, you couldn't stop me from coming back. <laughs> he said, I'm coming back. <clears throat> and he's going to be speaking as well. So it's just going to, it's going to be a really great time to get grounded again. People need to find out that they're not alone. You know, they're not out there. I mean, there's a lot of fear right now, I, know. I have to say. But we need to be encouraged. And, um, you know, the people who come to this are going to get plenty of that because they're not alone. They're going to look at other people and say, yep, I, I, you're right. I think the same way. And uh, these people are off the rails. So we're bringing truth back to back to the platform. And, and there's, there's two elements to that. Everybody knows about fake news. 
that's a big thing today. But did you know about fake history? That's another topic that we're that we're trying to break down, and and because uh, history is being rewritten, and yeah. for their convenience, you know, for the opposition's convenience, of course. But uh, we're trying to uh, we're trying to set some of the stuff right, and uh, you know, get help people get their get their head screwed back on the way it ought to be. Get get some direction. We'll be talking about activism as well. What can you, in other words, what can you do about it? It's very important to us. One of the things that strikes me about the tone of your your website, your book, your this conference, it's not confrontational. It's informational, and you respect the individual. It's all about knowledge. If you, I mean, I think that the kernel, the underpinning of our society right now is this: something is wrong. I don't know what it is, and I don't know where to go and try to find out and learn. I think that's the main yeah. thing that's driving us. And what really struck me as I started to reach out and read your information and, and expand my knowledge base is that it wasn't it wasn't scary. It was empowering. It was like what I I didn't know what I didn't know. And I knew that something some things were going on that were not right. And reading your material plugged me in. I'm like, oh, I get it now. This is why this is happening, and this is how I can resist it. This is how I can educate my listeners. This is how we can take our power back. I mean, there's one thing that you described about technocracy that is different than God. It's about choice with God. You have a choice to follow or not. With technocracy, you have no choice at all. It's my way or the highway. That's a whole different mindset, isn't it? Totally. Totally, yeah. And you know, the most people, <clears throat> when you sit them down and talk to them and kind of break through all of the, you know, the, the initial stuff they have in their brain, get mm -hmm. down to their soul. You find most people end up, you know, thinking some of the same same thoughts. Well, I am a person. You know, I am a I'm a human being, and I'm a person, not an object. You know, nobody wants to be treated as an object, right? So nobody does, and Technocracy treats you as an object to be manipulated, like a test tube in a in a laboratory. No choice. Uh, you, you know, it's like manifest destiny for you personally. <laughs> you know, this is what you're going to do, be, and and mm -hmm. and now and in the future, and you have no choice. And I've never run across human being yet when you get right down to it. I don't care what their what their persuasion is, political persuasion. You get right down to it. Do you have any value for freedom of choice for your life? Yeah. And I've never heard anybody say, "No, I don't care about that." I, I don't. I need you know that other people can make all my decisions. I have never ever heard that, <laughs> and you never will because we are in fact humans. <laughs> and we, you know, there's more to us than just a bag of atoms. Agreed. And on that note. We're going to end, but I, in the short minute that we have, can you tell people how to how to reach you, how to find your blog, how to interact? Oh, certainly. Technocracy.news is where everything is right now that I have. Technocracy.news. You can get on the mailing list there and, you know, follow along with a story. These are stories from all over the world that I curate every day to kind of tell the, kind of tell the story. I, mean, I want people to see from their eyes what's going on here. And if anybody's interested in coming to Red Pill Expo, that's redpillexpo.org, and I invite people to get involved. We also have a live streaming option. We're going to be uh, video videoing the entire conference and sending it out high quality, high definition live stream. 
for people to view all around the world. And so if you can't come in person, you can certainly do the live stream. Well, I'm going to be there. I hope my listeners follow suit so that we can be empowered to take our power back. I want to thank you so much for coming on. I would love to have you on again because we just did a, an overview, but it was an absolute honor and pleasure. My pleasure. I really thank you for everything you're doing back there. It's a, it's a breath of fresh air to, uh, to see other people involved uh, on their own doing really meaningful things. And it really looks like you are. So. Well, thank you. Thank you. God bless. And thank you for listening thank to you. Medicine on Call.